Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done everyone and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Cells Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin and I'm your host this evening and my co-host this evening is Dr. Nancy. She'll be joining us. Um, We are on scan number 3221 this evening and I'm really excited to introduce our special guest First, we've got to do a little bit of business, but um, again, if you are interested in being a part of our panel, we'd love to have you on. Maybe ask our guests some questions. You can call uh, 646-695-2118, put that one in there, 595-2118, and we will bring you into the studio and um, see if you have anything to contribute tonight. We'd love to have you. If you're a friend of Scott's, um, our guest, tonight. We'd love to have you call in as well and just kind of support him. So um, our, so we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood trauma and abuse, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, preventing facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can find all of that information, that um, prevention, intervention, and recovery stuff on nasca.org. And again, it's naasca.org. And um, also call in this evening and support our panelists. We'd love to have you. We're on scan number 3221. And um, you can go on to, you know, org also and listen to these numbers at any time. So usually they're available about a half an hour or so after the show ends. So this evening we have um, our special guest is Scott Allen. He's from Weston, Connecticut. Scott is 72. 
He's retired and works as a volunteer at his local homeless shelter careers, where spent as a keyboard musician and a carpenter. Scott explains that his 12-year-old niece was raped and murdered in 1994 by two men who offered her a ride home. The ongoing history of the crime itself was explained in an article from January 2023. And you can you know, find the link to that article on NASA.org as well. We have that listed under his bio. The police screwed up her case from the beginning of her disappearance, he says. I think that many mothers fail to instruct their daughters as to the dangers of puberty and the aggressive men, the aggressive nature of men in general. NASCA wants to point out that teaching children about the dangers of all child abuse is best taught in age-appropriate stages, starting when your son or daughter is a toddler and growing more specifically as the child gets older, or getting more specific. So, to the responsibility of mothers and fathers worldwide, we ought to not just um, talk about sexual abuse that should include violence, of any kind when it comes to children and keeping them safe. We know that a child is completely at the mercy of the predator, not just because of their under, understandably naive, um, you know, sustainability to adults, but also because of their general physical strength. Often forgotten, the golden hour, Scott says, the first hour of a child's disappearance. Scott also says that pointing out this should be explained to all the siblings so that they can all understand it and know what to do if that happens to them. And I just can't even imagine what you have gone through. So, Scott, we are bringing you on air now. You are on the air with, with us. So, welcome. And we're so glad you're here with us this evening. I'm sorry it's under those circumstances. Well, it's great to be here to be able to express myself. I haven't really been able to do that until tonight, except with some of my friends. And it's a pretty detailed, long, drawn-out, painful story because the investigating agency of the police, the Putnam County Sheriff's Department, screwed the case up from the very beginning and said she was a runaway. And they also failed to interview me about her disappearance, which I thought was very out of place because I was a direct family member and um, I had a definite opinion about Josette, which was that her sisters, um, part of, you know, guarding her and, um, After the fact, after she disappeared, I really should have been contacted by the Sheriff's Department and interviewed because the profile of the kids was that the eldest um, was not someone who would run away. Her personality profile didn't allow for that at all. There wasn't even a possibility. And this, the middle child was a rebel, and she had the potential to run away. She didn't run away, of course. She stuck around, and but she was very temperamental, and she was the kind of rebel that could run away. But Josette was in the category of someone who would never run away. 
So I could have put that idea into the sheriff's department and told him, listen, you can't say she was a runaway. She didn't have the personality to be a runaway. I've known her since she was about seven, and I know what I'm talking about. So that mischaracterization really led to all the problems we've had since then. There have been five murder trials to try to solve this. And the two perpetrators who were charged are now free. Uh, that's got to be they, awful. Yes. Why don't we go back? Yeah, why don't, I know, because we kind of started in the middle, but why don't we kind of go back and let you start from, you know, the beginning of your family story or, you know, how that, how your okay. life affected how this all came right. about, just so we can kind of start from the beginning, and then we might ask you some questions. But I don't want you to get right. too flustered. I know you kind of had it, kind of had it down how yeah. you were going to do it. I'll yeah. let you go ahead and start from the very beginning, and then I may just interrupt you if I have a question okay. or something. If that's okay. Well, okay. I basically grew up on Long Island with my two sisters, and we moved when I was thirteen which was 1963, to Carmel, Carmel, New York. And my parents bought a house there. And I went through high school there, graduated in 1968. And my sisters also graduated from, from Carmel High School. And uh, we had a very good life in Carmel. And everything... You know, there was no major incidents or tragedies or anything like that. And uh, I made it through high school, and I took off and became a road musician, basically, in 1969. So that's how our family started. And we... Um, you followed your passion huh, into music? And, my passion was musician. music from the beginning because I realized something a lot of musicians have a problem with I didn't, which is stage fright. I had absolutely no stage fright whatsoever and that, you know, that played a big part in me wanting to do that plus my aptitude for the field of music. And people in my my band... What's that? I'm I'm sorry, I was just going to say, was it always the keyboard? Is that kind of what you always focus on yeah I always I played keyboard keyboard and then I would also play the cowbell and tambourine and the maracas when a keyboard part wasn't called for in the song and I sang lead and I'm wasn't a very very good singer but I gave it all I had (laughs) and I made it work but we had two backup singers two female backup singers who were in high school with me and they were just fabulous they both sang Beautifully. And my drummer, Chris Parker, has gone on to be one of the world's most famous drummers and has played with Aretha Franklin and Mariah Carey and a whole host of other people. And he's still playing the the drums. As his um, four brothers, they also played the drums, and his father plays the drums. So it was quite a... It was quite an episode in, in, a, in, the, uh, in the early stages of rock music to have this artist with the four sons who were drummers, and that's where we rehearsed. And 
it was just all fun, 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 really. But I did wow. go on the road with a band and I, in 69, and I ended up playing at Disney World opposite Tommy Rowe, his band versus mine, a half hour at a time up until the midnight fireworks. And then I continued to play, and then I stopped about, I don't know, and then about 77, I stopped playing. I stopped uh, being in a band, but I started to write songs. I'm still writing songs. So that's basically uh, what I did in the field of music. Now, so was your whole family pretty musical as well? I mean, My father was uh, a jazz guitarist, so he would play gigs on the weekend on Long Island, and there was plenty of work in that regard. So he was a very good guitar player, and um, Wes Montgomery was his hero in the field of guitar. And anyone who knows Wes Montgomery knows he was really at the top of the heap for a long time and a real perfectionist as was my father. So that's where you got it from. That's where I got it from. And, um, (laughs) you know, I'm glad I got it (laughs) because it was really at the, it was really at the beginning. It was at the end of the, not the end, but it was when folk trans uh, morphed into rock music. Basically, yeah. And so I, I followed folk music pretty carefully. You know, Peter Paul and Mary and the Weavers. And the, my first concert actually was a Weavers concert when I was ten years old. I went to a hootenanny and heard the Weavers with Paul Seeger. So that was a very special moment for me. And Peter Paul and Mary were my my idols, kind of. And all these other people in the folk world, including Bob Dylan. And I did sing like Bob Dylan, and I can still sing like Bob Dylan. And that was an asset, too. Oh, That's great. That sounds like a yeah. lot of fun. It sounds like, like I said, like you, you did follow your passion, and that's what everybody wants to do for a job, right? Is exactly. Make Find it your about passion. your passion, and then, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so um, basically I became a carpenter eventually in the uh, early 80s, and I moved to Westport, Connecticut, and there was tons of work in Westport in the 80s, and I lived on North Avenue. Paul Newman also lived on North Avenue. He was my neighbor, and I met some of the other celebrities who live in Westport, and I still... And meeting them. And um, it's a great town. It's a fabulous town. It's a unique town. It, it really is. It's got the only five-star library in Connecticut. Paul Newman's pet project was that library. And uh, I am there usually two or three times a week now because there's no place like it, really. Yeah, not a whole lot of people spend as much time in the libraries as they used to. You just get everything online now. Oh, right. And, you know, it's a very expensive place to live. 
but that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Well, yeah. Westport in particular, Westport, Weston, Fairfield, New Canaan, these are all the real rich towns in this area. I've never been there. Fun to visit sometimes. I do have a yes, friend you should, from there. You should visit. <laughs> when um, yeah. Sarah, uh, Sarah Wallace interviewed me last September about Josette's case before the last murder trial went underway, and she was she was very impressed with Westport. Her her comment was, wow, it's been a long time since I've been here once she showed up at the library to interview me. So she was quite impressed. And it's a very changing yeah. town. I mean, you know what I mean? Everything keeps upgrading and changing more than other places. It's a very dynamic place to live. I think they like to kind of stay in relevant with the times, it sounds like. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's got all the amenities that anyone would ever want, really. So you can kind of walk anywhere you need to go? Is it kind of pretty close? Yeah, I usually use my bicycle instead of my car because I need the exercise at at my age. (laughs) I know we all do, yeah. And it does keep me. It does keep me in. It keeps me in shape. So, but I do have problem. I do have physical problems now. I've got sciatica, and I've got a bad back, and I've got bad knees. But they are slightly Mm -hmm. getting better because of my exercise regimen I do at home. So, things are looking up actually, not getting worse. (laughs) You know, I've thought about. Like I said, visiting out there in New York and, and everything. And I think about, so I'm in Denver, but I think about the traffic that is happening in Denver. And I know it's not probably even half of what you guys have out there, but it drives me crazy. So I definitely don't want to be driving out there <laughs> anywhere. Oh, I hear that. I'm, I hear, oh, I know yeah. about that. <laughs> I've never been out west. I've never been west west of Tennessee, so... Oh, I don't yeah. know what it's uh, – all I know about Denver is what I hear from John Denver. Oh, yeah. If you, if you, oh, you know yeah. the – It's much better. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a place I'd love to visit someday, but I have to get my to get myself to California, too, while I, have, oh, yeah. while I still <laughs> yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I kind of have that in, in mind, too. I was thinking I could – maybe go up to Oregon and see some people that I know and then go down to Florida and see some, or California and see some people I know and, and then make it all the way over to the other side of the, the country yeah, and I, go to New York. So just take like a country tour. <laughs> yeah, you really should because uh, there's a lot to miss out on, put it that way. There's a lot I'd like oh, yeah, to see before. Uh, exactly. So, I'm still trying to plan some sort of trip. It's still in the planning stage at this point. But basically growing up in Carmel, from the time I was 16, I used to take the train to New York City to go to Washington Square and check out the folk scene and everything that was happening down there, the coffee houses and so forth. And I have been going in and out of New York City 
regularly since I was a teenager. In fact, then during the 80s, I was there once or twice a week because I got hooked up with The Daily Show when they first aired, and I was there in the first audience, and I met a lot of the people who, you know, were instrumental in <clears throat> creating The Daily Show, like Madeline Smithberg and uh, Liz Winstead. And I actually became VIP in the audience for 19 years. So I was there every five or six weeks in the audience. And I had been on, I had also done the same thing with the Letterman show. I was there 217 times in in Dave's audience. And actually I was in a viewer mail sketch one night and that viewer mail sketch is on YouTube. Oh, neat. You should send us a link to that. Very exciting. (laughs) They used to scan the line and ask ask they wanted to be on TV that night, and me and the two guys who were standing next to me got to be in a skit, so it was wonderful. Oh, neat. Yeah, that does sound like fun. Hey, would you mind if we bring on Dr. Nancy and see if she has any questions? And we've also got one other caller. He's one of our regular callers, and he might have a question as well. Oh, sure. Let's go ahead and bring on Dr. Nancy. Hey, are you there, Dr. Nancy? Yep, I think I'm muted. Sorry. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. No problem. I've enjoyed listening to some of your stories. I can't wait to hear a little more. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, where we can uh, find some of your music so we can hear um, some of the work that you've done, I think, is very interesting, and it sounds really good, very inspirational. Well, most most of the songs I've written are still uh, only five are copyrighted, and they haven't been performed by anyone. Mm-hmm. And but I have okay, you know, I'm like you. I have a goal to. I do want to hear a song that I've written become a big song and be on the radio and and all that stuff. So I'm still working on that, mm-hmm. even at my late age. You put your music. <laughs> no, oh please, we can do it forever till we're gone. Some people oh, leave early, but as long as you're alive, you can do it at any time. I was going to ask you. So, do you have a YouTube channel or something? No, I don't have a YouTube channel. I I actually really want to write a song and have a, uh, and who knows who do it. And um, I don't want a lot of notoriety from it. I just want to really be able to hear my music on the radio. Unless things go in that direction. And, of course, then I would get on the train. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I would love to one day be able to hear some of your music or something like that. So definitely I'll be checking in. Um, Are you on Facebook or Instagram? You, well, I'm I'm not on Instagram. I am on Facebook, but I I don't have my music posted on Facebook because I want a song to be copyrighted and complete and have a group do it and and perfect it and get it right before I you know would do anything in terms of escalating that position. Yeah. Oh yeah, I understand. You definitely want to protect it. Well, thank you very much for sharing. I'm just looking forward to hearing more about your story. No problem. 
Well, we have um, another yeah, we have guest on the panel. Let me call check it with Philip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything, anything you would like to add or ask Philip? Um, not today. No. Okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah, I'll take any questions. Okay. So, um, just so you know, also, right now, that's it's only the four of us on the panel, but it, but there are usually people that listen live that we can't, you know, that'll listen onto the um, on the website or they listen later. So, you know, a lot of times we have up to hundred people that listen to the show in one night. So. Mm-hmm. There'll be more people. Just because we're not on the panel doesn't mean that you won't get more people listening. <laughs> and and we, you know, we want more people to do. And I, I was also going to say when um, Dr. Nancy was talking about your music that, you know, you are a, a family member of NASCA now that you've been on our show. And so you are welcome to go on to our web, you know, our website, our, yeah, website and the Facebook pages. And so if you ever want to just tell us about anything, go on to the NASCA Facebook page and, you know, pop it in there and let us know what's going on with you. And you can also at any time, yeah, at any time also, you can call this number again and you can be a part of the panel like, you know, Philip Oh, great. Philip calls in and listens and he sometimes has questions. So you are welcome to do that any time you want to. That sounds great. So I guess we kind of ended up before we took the break with um, you know, just talking about your, your music a little bit and, and how you got into bands and got touring and everything and just how you how you grew up and how your family dynamic is and everything. So, um, so yeah, I'll let you take it from there and continue on. Well, okay. Uh, <clears throat> what I guess I should talk now about what led up to Joseph's disappearance. And what led up to her disappearance was that my sister was living with her two children and her husband in Northern California. And he was a rather out of control person. And he started a fight with her in the middle of the night. And it was a very bad mistake because my sister is a little, she's a bull, if you know what I'm saying. And she put him in the hospital for three weeks, but she didn't go to the hospital, if you know what I mean. And then my parents went to California to rescue her and the kids and bring them back to Carmel. And they stayed in my mother and father's house. And then something had to be done about that situation. So my parents bought a condominium in Danbury, Connecticut. And my sister remained at their house with her two children, which is a good arrangement because, you know, it it saved her all kinds of problems being there when she was relocated. So the kids grew up there, and Josette was the youngest. And I would come and go and do the landscaping and fix the house and whatever had to be done on the property. And uh, I actually lived there during the last years that we had the house before my parents died. I did live there 
just that it was already gone at that point. But what led up to her disappearance was the fact that my the middle uh, the eldest child, Joseph's older sister, got uh, she got pregnant, and so he's going to have a baby. And the father of the child, they wanted him to live at the house. And so, you know, the house didn't have an unlimited number of bedrooms. And Josette ended up sleeping on the couch. And I don't know how long that would have lasted. But she was really arguing with the middle child uh, who wouldn't leave her alone and you know, she had limited privacy and that kind of things. And the arguments were pretty constant. And one day she just took off and left the property. There was a babysitter there. So I'm not sure what went wrong with that. But she disappeared. But I wasn't informed about this until three weeks after she was missing. And I thought that was extremely out of place for the reasons I stated earlier because the sheriff's department needed to interview me because I really had to give them a piece of my mind and drill it into their heads. The kid did not run away. And I didn't have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, she basically remained missing for 13 months. And then it was Thanksgiving dinner, 1995 and two plainclothes detectives knocked on our door and said that a hunter had found her skull the day before. And, of course, that was a a horrible scene, but they had to make a notification. They had to come to the house and tell us. And then we waited for an arrest, and, and the arrest eventually came. It was a local boy and another local guy that I didn't know but I did know one of the perpetrators and he was a bully and quite often bullies end up being sexual abusers, of course. And that was the case with this guy. The fact that he's gone free now doesn't mean anything because I only think he was freed because the jury wouldn't reconvict him after he spent more than 20 years in jail. So that's kind of why they both went free is because they did so much time already. But it's still That's not good be because, yes, yeah. it is. And yeah. it's, it's also frustrating because in the state of California, if the same crime had happened under the same circumstances, they would have been on death row and that would have been the end of the story. But not in New York State. So they did change the law in New York State a few years after that, but that didn't help us. So, you know, they stiffened the law after the, after the fact when we couldn't take advantage of it. But it was uh, it was a horrible scene when they notified us because the first thing the detective said, we found your daughter to all of us. And then the middle child said, hey, wait a minute, you didn't even look for her. What in the world are you talking about? You found her because a hunter found her skull. And so I, I, you know, I try to keep a lid on my temper but I really wanted to throw them out of the house. I really wanted to order them to leave. But because the scene was already so bad in the house, I didn't go that far. But I'll tell you what, I really wanted to. 
because they screwed this case up and said she was a runaway from the beginning. And I had no chance to tell them she wasn't. So very frustrating for me. And after the notification, they did arrest these guys, and they did go to trial, and they were both found guilty. And one of the two defendants, the older one, his family demanded a new trial, and they got a second trial, and he was reconvicted. And then they both had a third trial, and, and they were found not guilty, and they're free now. And one of them got a $3 million settlement, and the second defendant, who's now been freed, we don't know what he's going to get. I don't, I'm not aware of what he has gotten or will get out of this. So murderers, murderers become millionaires. And yeah, I, blame, I, blame the, I blame the sheriff's department for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I also that's, think that back in the 90s, and you know, that they didn't have, I don't even know, did they have Amber Alerts in the early 90s? Mm, I don't even no, know. No, I don't think, no, no, I, I, I don't thinking, think so. Yeah, I can't no remember Amber. if they did or not. I think they had the, the pictures on the milk curtain. Yeah, they had the milk cartons, right. I remember but, those. Yeah. Those, but um, they didn't have a, the Amber Alerts. And, yeah, they just decided that everybody was a runaway pretty much from the very beginning. That's how they addressed things, it seemed like. Right. From that. Yeah, from that thought process. And that didn't help. You know, girls like no. me, for sure. I'm so no. sorry that happened. But, you know, I didn't attend any of these murder trials because it was really too much. I would have, there was a chance there would have been a mistrial if I, my temper got the best of me. And I had confronted one of the people from the sheriff's department, like the lead detective. And I didn't want any of that. So I didn't attend any of the trials. I know what happened. I know how it happened. I heard the whole sad story from the beginning. And I didn't need to attend the trials and make myself more upset than I already was. Because I'm still upset. I'm upset forever about this. Sure. It's, some, it's something you don't your... get over. Oh, no. You can't. I mean, I think any kind of any kind of death is hard to get over. Then when you add the surprise aspect of it, that's even harder. And then you add, like, the murder aspect of it. I mean, that's even harder. I don't know how you that's say it. it's even harder, but it, it is. I mean, I just can't even imagine what your family oh, yeah. has gone through. Yes, and it's been... what about your sister then? Can you tell us a little bit about her and how she dealt with everything and how she was well, feeling Well, you know, she was, she, was, um, she was beside herself from the moment the kid went missing, from the, from the next day on when she didn't show up the night before. And she's still upset, you know, from every day from then till now. And understandably so because the sheriff's department it would be one thing if the sheriff's department handled the case properly but when they mishandled the case it became a 28 year saga of misery for all of us and it was not necessary if they had done their job properly things would have been much better for us and my sister still had to depend on these guys to try to prosecute them so she's not going to go off on them either but I was the one who might have gone off on them. So I did stay away from the trial. Because <laughs> no. I, can, I can be quite effective when I'm angry, if you know what I'm saying. 
Now, were your parents still around when all of this happened? Were they still alive? Yep. So they, you know, um, they were um, witness to everything that happened. And my mother passed in I twenty nine. Let's see. She passed after all this had happened, except for the trials weren't over. So as far as she was concerned and my father, these guys were put away in jail. So at least they passed thinking that they would never get out or that they would serve all their sentence and not get out early or whatever the case may be. They should not even be let out early if it has anything to do with a child. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And (laughs) now my, I'd like to talk a little bit about my personal experience with young girls because it's been a very strange history with me. Since I was the age of ten, I have had young girls. um, How do I say this? They've been attracted to me for reasons I can't understand. And they have confided in me for reasons that I don't understand. But I've taken it all in stride, and I've used each opportunity I've had to try to, you know, be their other parent and give them the right advice. Babysitting for a a guitarist, uh, he wanted me to babysit for his two daughters. They were 9 and 11. And one night when I was babysitting, she said something to me that you only expect a child to say to her mother about her breast growing, starting to grow. And I used that as an opportunity to tell her, well, of course they did because of your age, but now you have to make sure that you don't let boys or men see your breasts or see you naked because they're only going to want to do one thing. You have to separate the good boys from the bad and the good men from the bad, and don't take chances. So I, that's what I told her. And she turned out just fine. She's got three or four kids of her own. So that all ended, that ended well. But I also had other incidents where I could give them my input and straighten them out if they did start to talk about a sensitive topic like sex or relationships or whatever the case may be. So I've just learned to use their attraction to me to give them the right advice because I've never been married and I've never had kids. So this is my opportunity to do what I can as a parent without being a parent. Yeah. Was that a choice or did it just not happen? It just never came about. Oh, this all just came about naturally. I mean, I never had any input into this. This was all on the part of the girls that I had contact with. No, I mean, I was wondering if you wanted to get married and have a family, if that was a thought or if it was just something you really didn't think a whole lot about until it was too late. Well, I basically, I basically just never found the right woman. And that sounds really (laughs) weird when you're 72, but it's still true. Sure. And sure. so I'm not no, going to marry the wrong person. I've, I've had a history of watching my friends get married and divorced. I've seen all the ugly divorces 
and the split ups and I want no part of that. If I'm going to get married, I want to stay married to that woman. I don't want any disruptions. I don't want any divorces or any cheating. You know, that's just the person I am. I, I can't put up with it. No, I don't so, blame I think that's great. you got to set your boundaries. No, I mean, I consider myself lucky. Even though I've missed the uh, love of a woman all my life, I consider myself lucky because I haven't had a bad marriage. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great thing. Yeah, so, you know, if Mrs. Wonderful is still out there, I hope (laughs) I find her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um... Do you mind if we see if Dr. Nancy has any other questions for you, since you've spoken a little bit about the disappearance and how that all played out? Yeah, well, uh, give me a specific question. Okay, yeah. Dr. Mm -hmm. Nancy, did you have a question that you wanted to ask Scott? Right now, I was was still processing, you know, the story. I think um, I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Scott for being brave and for coming forward and talking about it to, you know, really help raise awareness. Um, You know, this is something that's still happening to kids today. Um, Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. And growing up, I know this probably sounds crazy, but I took rides. A couple of my friends took rides. Like, it was normal back in the days. Maybe because we didn't have so much um, social media and information back then. But, uh, like, okay, I need a ride to, you know, I took the bus everywhere. We didn't have cars back then. Uh, We didn't have Ubers. There were just times we were running really, really late. We had to be home by a certain time or anything could have happened in between. And um, I've taken a ride or two back in the days when I was a little kid. And a few of my friends have, too. We've shared it with each other. Um, today, these kids today, like my kids, they don't do that. They take Ubers everywhere, and, you know, they have more aware, more access to the Internet. So, um, but then again, there's probably kids that still do it, and we just, I don't know, because I'm not a little kid talking to little kids. Like when I was a kid, I was talking to my friends, and they would confide in me. And so, um, again, you know, I just wanted to just commend you for being a voice for for your family, for the community, and for um, sharing the story, um, have you had any anybody um, can I give you a hard time for sharing the story, um, or is everybody more in support of you coming forward and being a voice for the community right now? Well, no one's given me a hard time about anything I've said. Being careful about what I'm saying about it, but mm-hmm. certain things have to be exposed and certain principles that are very old have to be followed. Like don't take a ride with someone you don't trust. And if you don't know if you can trust them or not, don't take a ride with them. Don't take any chances. Don't get alone in a situation with a guy when you think there might be danger. You know, you can hang out with your friends instead because they're the same sex as you are. It's a lot easier that kind of thing. And, of course, the golden hour rule, once a child goes missing, it's got to be a pretty a pretty thorough search. But, you know, I'm just somebody who's been on the sidelines watching all this happen because of, you know, of being single my whole life. 
Thank you. Yeah, you get kind of that outside view that I think um, even as a parent, even if I wasn't in that family, you know, it, it would be, I think I would be more scared to do anything than to, at that time, than to right. make any kind of remarks or, or stand up or anything. Now I would definitely speak my mind. <laughs> I've come a long way yeah, yeah. years, but I've spent yeah, many years that's good. just not keeping quiet. And I, but I do understand. I know that um, you know back in the '80s when I was growing up too that you know you could, or I did, um, <laughs> walk in the front door of the school and walk out the back door of the school and wander around like even like Nancy's saying. You, your parents didn't know where you were during the day, even on the weekend. It was like, yep. just go play, get out of my hair, and you would wander off. And I can't imagine you were talking about being 16 and, and riding the New York um, subway, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that seems like so young to be doing that. But it it wasn't really back then. I mean, you know, the last, 20 years ago when I was raising my kids, I was very cautious, but I think that it, it came more because I had that experience. I'd already, you know, been touched by abuse in some way that I knew to watch out for where my kids were going and not letting them have probably mm-hmm. as much freedom as they wanted and as much freedom yeah. as their friends had a lot of the time because I wanted to keep them safe. And, um, yeah, so yeah, it, it was hard to to play that. Yeah, oh, I know it's I know it's a it's safe. a constant battle to keep your kids safe. Absolutely, every day of their lives you have to and in the 90s, wonder about ten yeah. things. Right. <laughs> and in the nineties it just wasn't that worry as much. And I'll bet it was just because we didn't have as much information. It was probably it was all still happening, obviously. All of the abuse and the, the kidnappings and things like that. But um, we didn't know about it. We only heard about what got on the news. We didn't hear exactly, that. exactly. Now you hear everything because everything's everywhere on the internet. Yeah, it's a whole different Which world. Should make parents more aware. You know, it should. It should. I think I um, I teach a child sexual abuse prevention class to adults too. That that kind of teach them how to recognize and prevent, and then also report if somebody is being abused or had told you they've been abused. And what I find is a lot of preschools are interested in this curriculum because their parents are interested in it. Their parents, you know, are, are new parents, and they want to know all of the facts, how they keep their kids safe. And I think that's so admirable that they, you know, there are so many oh, younger parents these days that want to know. Absolutely. There's on. different there's different rules for each generation, but some of the rules stay exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. The important things stay the oh, same. Right, as far as safety for the kids. Yes. That should have been. And should've I been know that um, I'm, since I'm six foot two and I can definitely take care of myself, um, I didn't worry about anyone trying anything with me because they didn't want to get knocked out, if you know what I mean. So no one really tried to fool around with me, but I, you know, I did have a friend on Long Island who 
obviously to me, when I look back, was born gay because he tried to get something going on with me, and I was like, what in the world are you thinking? So I was just on the other side of the planet with him, but it did make me aware that, you know, gay people are here, and they are born that way, and they're really not going to change. This is who they are. And that that's it when I was 11 or 12. So that was a very early lesson that I learned. Yeah. But but did not fall victim to. Right. And well, when and, I was... You know, when people say when I was, that they do, especially males will be... Um, kind of fall victim more to... Actually, oh, yeah. Some guys get, sometimes gay people will become gay because of sexual abuse, I guess is what I was actually trying to say. Yes, there. I, I, I don't agree know with if that. that's true or not, but people say that, you know. I um, well, I think it's a, my, it's a possibility. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, yeah. I think, but I also think that um, they they could be born with it, too. My son is gay. And his sisters will tell you from a very young age, from about three years old, they knew he was gay. And he didn't mm-hmm. tell me, he didn't tell any of us until he was 18. And he might not have even right. realized it, you know, until he right. was an adult. But um, right. but they were very convinced that he was as a three-year-old. Yeah, you, you can tell <laughs> so early I was just on. Like, you don't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of times they were born, you know, that's the way God made them. It doesn't make them bad. I mean, there are bad, just like there's bad straight people, there's bad gay people. And um, No, it's a, na- it's a natural phenomenon for sure. Yeah. So I go was ahead also... and, um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, I'll, let, I'll give it back to you so you can talk. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I just want to say there was also an incident when I was 38. Was I 38? No. I was 36. And I was putting a deck on uh, one of our clients' houses, along with two other carpenters, and we were putting a deck next to their pool. And there was three daughters, and one was 11, one was 13, and one was 15. And there was a, a, a and the boy I think was 16. And at an odd moment when I was working on that deck, there really wasn't anyone around, and the youngest one um, approached me and said, she just walked up to me and knowing we were alone, she said, I'll do anything you want. If you could even imagine, this is what she said. And I said, it wouldn't be a good idea for you if we did. And I didn't really explain further, but I did, I did throw cold water on the idea because I had to, I didn't have any desire to do that. But, you know, some girls, I think, in a family situation where they have older siblings, they want to compete on a sexual basis. They know that their their sisters are ahead of them and in the boy department and everything. And I think that was an example of this, why she would ever say something like that to me as if we're going to fool around, which we weren't. But, again, it was a good opportunity to straighten her out. And she ended up being fine. And, you know, can I, I was going to say, can I say something real quick? Uh, my thoughts on that. Um, yeah. Is it possible, I don't know for sure, but it's possible, too, 
that those girls or that one girl specifically even was being sexually abused. And so when you are, you know, sexually, when you're introduced to sex at a very young age, you don't really have the ability because you, you were introduced to it too young of an age, but you understand that it feels good. And so, you know, maybe right. at times girls are more promiscuous because of that. So, like I said, it just could be possible. Oh, sure, it's a possibility. I just didn't know that. Just being a carpenter working on their house, I was not that familiar with whether or not that could have been a factor. To me, it seemed like she was just competing with her sisters and wanting to make her own way behind everyone's back and, and, and have her first experience. Yeah, and it could be that, too. I mean, I when I was... 13, we were getting ready to move to um, Washington State, and my best friend that I had at the time in Colorado was determined for me to have sex before I left, before I moved to Washington State. So she put on a lot of pressure on me. She was kind of pushing it. So, yeah, you can, I, I definitely see that can happen as well, is even just that. Yeah. yeah should be doing this too because of yeah that that makes sense i've done it you should do it yeah yeah exactly there's a bit of rivalry that makes girls take chances i think yeah and it and you know it did turn out in the case of my guitar player friend whose daughter was explaining to me that her breasts were growing it was um when I gave her the advice that I did and said, don't let men see you naked, don't let them see your breasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the way things turned out, she had a friend I also babysat for, and she did get pregnant when she was 15. So my lesson to the one girl, she saw it happen before her eyes. I said, you know, you're going to get in trouble if you get pregnant. It's going to change your life forever. And you're, if you keep the child, you're going to be tied to that for the rest of your life. It's going to change the direction of your life. And you need, you need to make these decisions with the right guy in the right situation. And so this girl watched her friend get in trouble and get pregnant. And her mother was promiscuous. And I think that had something to do with it too. And I hate to see that kind of thing ever happen because unwanted pregnancies are just a no-no. I mean, you have to deal with it, and it affects you for the rest of your life, and it's much easier to take the good advice and not get into trouble. But, of course, not everyone that's not everyone's experience. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's even about, I mean, I know with me, when I got pregnant at 18, um, I didn't, I just didn't, think about the consequences at all. I just thought I wanted somebody to love me. I want a baby. And I'd had, yep. you know, I wanted to be a mom for a long time. So it wasn't, it didn't even occur to me the consequences and, and how that was all going to play out. But I also kind of had that his, um, you know, family history of teenage pregnancies. And so I mean, it was only 16 when she had me. And so that's what I prayed for my daughters. I was like, please just get out of your teen years. Do not get pregnant in your teen years. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of, of one of my main goals. 
Yes, of course. It worked. It happened because I was I was happy. <laughs> I think they were yeah, both twenty five when they when they had their baby. So yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, all well, all well then ends well. Yeah, and you don't realize it when you're a kid. I mean, you just do it, and that's I mean, sometimes good and sometimes bad. It depends on the child and, and their personality and how they're going to be. As a well, I was certainly never going to become the first guy in the life of a young girl to have sex with her. That was never going to happen. So. It didn't matter who the girl was or what the situation was. I have a very strict set of rules, and I always have about these kinds of things, but not everyone has a strict set of rules. And being a musician, of course, you know about musicians and groupies, and, you know, it's it's easy to get get a girl when you're a musician and you're singing on stage and blah, 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 blah in a world where the rock rock music world is taken off like a rocket and I never fell victim to that either. I've always been kind right. of a loner in that, in that respect, but then again, it's really only because I haven't met the right woman or I, or I'd be married now and I'd have kids now. So I have a question. I have another question um, about your, okay. your mom and dad. Did, did they have a really good, healthy relationship? Is that what was, they had they had the most solid the most solid textbook relationship you could ever imagine. They met at a USO dance. Oh. Well, you know, and and uh, my father fought in Germany against the Nazis, and he was wounded, and they put him in a hospital in England, and then he was returned to the United States, and GI Bill, and you know all these opportunities and everything, but he was in a foxhole with another soldier and a German shell exploded over the foxhole and killed the guy next to him. And my father got a piece of shrapnel in his leg that the doctor said, we have to leave this in because it's going to cause more injury if we take it out than if we leave it in. So he really lucked out and uh, came back here and, you know, bought a house on Long Island for $12,500. That house now is $580,000, the same house, if you can even imagine that, because that's the way Long Island real estate is. Oh, yeah. But they were the most solid couple you could ever imagine. There wasn't a hint that they would ever split up. It was, like, unthinkable. They didn't argue. And, you know, everything was – I couldn't have had a more solid – childhood with with my parents it was just the best well yeah i was gonna say that's why your standards are so high that's why you're not going to settle and you didn't exactly exactly plus the fact that i've learned really early on in my teens when i watched all my fellow classmates in high school try drugs there were those who would keep trying to get higher and higher and higher which meant escalating the drugs and trying more dangerous drugs. And I just looked at what they did and I said, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm not trying any of that stuff at all. I smoked weed, you know, from the time I was six. I didn't escalate anything. There was no uppers or downers or LSD or cocaine, nothing. And I remained that way and that's how... This saga began with the musicians that I, I know from Connecticut, 
they all got ejected to heroin. And the the guitarist that I used to babysit his daughters for um, became addicted, and he would call me on the phone and offer me a lot of money to bring heroin to where he was in Maine. And I said, you're out of your mind. I'm not taking any heroin to Maine. You lost your mind. He ended up robbing a bank in Portland and going to jail. The FBI caught him in Fort Lauderdale a few days later. And when he got out, he became a drug counselor. And three years ago, and some of his friends helped him open a rehab uh, facility in Maine called El Rancho de la Vida. And it's doing really well. And it's expanded what they're doing. And uh, they accept couples now who are both addicted. They can stay there together. And then they have an LGBT program for, for those people who get addicted. I mean, this guy is very smart. He's very smart and very successful. And he's helped a lot of people. I haven't seen facility because I haven't traveled to it yet, but I know I'm going to within the next six months and see what's going on up there. So again, that's because I stayed away from the drug and watched everyone else fall victim. Yeah. Yeah, and it was so easy. Because now that's that's a huge that's a huge problem. Well, and it still is. It still is today. Still got issues. I was so blessed with my kids. Well, breaking addiction is, I, you know, that means I have no idea what it's I'd like to actually go through breaking my addiction because I've never been addicted. But, you know, it's enough for me to watch people suffer going through it from a distance, you know. I just, it's just pretty, it's, it's very, very, very bad. I've had a lot of friends who have lost their sons or daughters to um, addiction and or suicide. And, you know, it just affects every day of your life until you break that addiction. So that's why we opened this place in Maine. And, and Maine has a particularly acute problem with addiction. And, you know, these drugs aren't being kept out like they were being kept out in the 60s and 70s. It's only escalated from then till now. So it's a very bad situation. The, the, the lesson is don't ever try heroin. It's not worth it. The high isn't worth it. The addiction isn't worth it. Nothing is worth it. The money, nothing. Taboo thing for me. I wish everyone felt that yeah. way. Me too. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, you know, like hard opioids and stuff, I, I can't take those. Like when I have surgery, I can't take them for very long, which is a good thing. I mean, I just don't like how it makes me feel, but um, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing <laughs> that I don't like them, <laughs> that I don't want to stay on them. <laughs> no, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I can get it next time. I still smoke um, weed, so I'm, I'm basically back from 16 till now, that's all I've ever done. Is it legal out there? Pardon me? Is it legal in Connecticut? Yeah. Uh, what, the, what, the facility? Marijuana. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I always had a, a source to get 
spot when it was illegal, and now that it is legal, it's easier. And I have no desire to move on to anything else. I, I don't smoke much to begin with. But I do have back pain, and it helps my back pain. And so that's a, something, that's another benefit of it. Yeah. It's being used more and more for, you know, for rehab purposes and for treat medical conditions and so forth. And I hope that keeps going in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah, it should. I think it is very helpful, too, for a lot of different... I mean, basically, people who are into drugs are looking for that perfect drug that gives them the perfect high, but they make a thousand mistakes on that path. So don't go there. And like you said, they have to keep getting more and more because yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't get satisfied at a certain point. So, you know, it's a very difficult problem, but at least I was able to do something to get this place started in Maine, and I'm very happy about its success. Yeah, you should probably send us that um, that website as well. You know, whatever you want to send over to me, you know, whatever information – that you want to send to me, like your email or um, that info, right. link to that um, facility that you're talking about, then we can go ahead and yep. put it on your bio on the, the website, so it'll be there forever. So just okay, send over well, whatever else you want. El Rancho de la Vida is the name of the place in um, Fairfield, Maine. Is this Fairfield, Maine? Um, and... They uh, have a Facebook page, and they have a website. So I do spread the word with the Facebook page constantly and and repost their stuff since I'm stuck here and I'm not up there. Just to get the word out. How long has it been open? When did they open? It's been been open about two and a half or three years now. Okay. Oh, I'm sure it's such a blessing. So many options. It is. I mean, it's and and I haven't even seen the place, but I know exactly what they're doing there, and I get constant updates about the improvements they're making, the expansions they're making, and there's really no better use of uh, my friend Jamie's life than to have gone through this horrible experience, only to have. The joy at the end because he's able to do something about it, not only for himself, but for everyone out there who wants their help. Yeah, and I love that. I love it. I love it when people do that, turn their passion into helping the community. Oh, absolutely. We all should be doing. Absolutely. We all did that. Yeah, Dr. Nancy, you have anything you want to say or ask? Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed listening. You know, I can relate to a lot of what you guys were talking about uh, in regards to that, you know, early pregnancy and then having friends who um, have gone into harder drugs and all of that. And I just think that it's, 
important that as we continue to recover, walk in our healing journey or whatever it is that we have been through, recovering from whatever it is that we have been through, it's important to always, um, you know, get, get into that place of wanting to give back. Because once we've overcome and we reach that point of maturity, we're better able and better equipped to help those who are going through their process right now this time. Um, I do want to encourage people who are thinking or considering uh, that they want to get higher and higher and higher to please don't go into those hardcore drugs. Seek help from a doctor. There are um, medications that can actually help you through whatever it is, the process of getting off the drugs or if you need to still feel high in between. Because some people um, that are getting off of crack and getting off of some of those hardcore drugs, uh, they have to take some drugs in between to come down. Uh, so they really need to realize that there's there's steps in between, there's support in between that can help you in the recovery process. You just have to go to an addiction clinic or a doctor that specializes in addiction um, recovery because you don't have to be embarrassed. Um, but getting this stuff off the street, you want to get higher and higher. Right now there's a lot of um, rat poison being put in drugs. Um, there's a lot of, um, I can't think right this second, but what's the one that's killing everybody left and right? Fentanyl. Fentanyl. Okay, there you go. Uh, when, I, when, I asked, when I asked my friend Jamie, the head of El Rancho de la Vida, he's, the last thing he told me is, he says, I suppose if you really looked hard, you could find real heroin, but the, it's all fentanyl now. So that's pretty much the deal is that it's, if you buy something you think is heroin, it's going to have some fentanyl in it or it's going to be all fentanyl. So it's, it, you know, it's a terribly dangerous drug. And, uh, you know, after seeing the 27 Club in the World of Rock, you know, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison die of drugs and Jimi Hendrix die of drugs. I I hope that's served as a lesson for everyone else out there, but it hasn't. But it's something you have to think about. These people were 27, and they're gone. They were, like in the case of Jim Morrison, at the top of his career. Even though he quit the doors, he was at the top of his game. And, and so was Jimi Hendrix. And so was Janis Joplin, and they all went. So... It's just don't go anywhere near heroin. It should be it should be understood and it should be explained to to everybody. Just forget it. There's nothing good in it at all. Because that sums it up. Like I used to always tell my kids, nothing that happens after midnight. You don't need to be out after midnight. Yeah. Don't need to do it. Sorry, <laughs> I was just speaking and I had you. I had the mute button. I was thinking, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, no, thank you for that. And I agree. What I was going to say, what I was saying was, you know, a lot of times when I look at some of the before and after pictures of people who are using heroin, their faces mashed up, their teeth, their skin, their, they look so aged. They look like 80-something years old, and they're so young. They're like in their 30s, and they're just so, so beat up from this drug. Um, and so what I what I think that may be happening because I, I thank God I've never had that fight that you know that struggle with that drug particularly ever, but um, 
you know, I think that sometimes you're like, oh, I don't think I'll get hooked. I just need it right now. Or some people make the choice while they're high off of something else. So they're not in a clear mind to think. They're just like, or some people sneak the stuff. Some people sneak the stuff. I know, like, years ago, um, I had smoked weed. This is when I was younger, y'all. I had smoked weed. um, And I'm not saying, I mean, I did it as an adult, too. I'm just not doing it now, but I'm just saying. Uh, I was younger, and I smoked weed with this guy. And then all of a sudden, my heart started palpitating really crazy. And I remember that some people crushed cocaine, crushed Crack. That was only I didn't know what this man might have put in there, but my heart was beating so fast, and I felt just like so high. And then some people get addicted to that, and I hear I don't know if they call it angel dust or they put something in the weed uh, that makes you more high. And then people get addicted, like oh that was some good weed. Oh my god, I've never been that high. But they don't know that the people that you're around or the people you got it from are like you know. Do have bad intentions. They want to probably take advantage of you or whatever it is, or, or they're struggling with addiction. They want you to join in that addiction problem. So I just so many different reasons. So we just have to be aware and just be really careful. Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, <clears throat> I I only smoke uh, two kinds of weed, and that's dispensary weed because I know that's pure, and right. weed that my friend up in upstate Connecticut grows since he's allowed to grow it now. It's legal. And, it is legal. Yeah. And yep. so I basically give him the dispensary seeds that are, and save them and he grows the plants and it's at least as half as good as a dispensary weed and tree. Right. So wow. why, why risk your future with weed? You don't know what's in it or any drug that you don't know what's in it. Horrible. Horrible. Wow. You know, that's just that real. Uh, just as a common sense thing. I mean, these people can put anything in any drug. And I just become aware of this Captagon drug that is coming out of the Middle East and Syria in particular, Lebanon. I don't know if you know about Captagon. I haven't researched it as far as what it is as a drug and everything, but there's a BBC documentary tube about it if you want to watch it, Captagon. And I, I, I have to really explore this drug and see what it's doing to the societies in the Middle East as a result because it seems like it's catching on at an unbelievable rate. People are getting addicted to it. So I don't know what the le- I don't know how addictable it is or how fast it takes to get addicted. I have to do my research, but I haven't watched the documentary, but it's on YouTube. So, you know, I told Jamie, the head of Rancho de la Vida, hey, if you haven't heard about this drug, you better you better do your research, and I better do my research, because this is going to overflow into the United States, too. And not many people even know about it. Had you heard of it? What is it called? About... Captagon. Uh-uh. No, I haven't heard of it. I've heard of bath water, and I've heard some weird stuff. I don't even know what else. Well, I have to watch this. I have to watch this YouTube video in the next few days because I'm more than curious about what it what it actually is and what it does, and the effect it's having on the societies that are becoming addicted to it. 
But, I mean, in the case of Syria, it means the al-Assad government is behind this. They're not trying to stop it. So that's another factor. Why are they not trying to stop it? So it's a whole new problem that uh, the world has to deal with now. And it might overflow, as I say, into the United States. We don't know. These drug dealers don't stand still. If there's a new opportunity, they'll grab it like they did with crack. And I still know people here in in Westport who are addicted to crack for 10, 20, 30 years, and they just don't want to stop. They just like it so much, they do not want to quit. I've never tried cocaine, so I have no idea what they're going through, but I've seen how it changes them, and none of it's good. So sad. Well, I would have never thought about fentanyl. I mean, I think that's good for people to hear. But that's what they're making. Oh, yeah. Well, so we are down to just like the last what, 11 minutes of our show. So okay. what else do you want to tell us in these last few minutes? And what do you want to leave us with? What do I want to leave you with? I would say I want to leave you with um, be careful about all the important decisions you have to make about sex and drugs. Just think them all through. And don't just automatically act and do it. Don't do it because of peer pressure. Make your own decision. Forget your peers. They're going to make their own decision, and they might drag you down. Make your own independent decision about sex and drugs, and make sure it's a good one. Analyze what's at stake for you and your life if you go in one direction or another. These are the things that people fail to realize and think about, and then they do become addicted, and they end up with problems. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big thinker. Maybe I think too much, but I don't think so. I'm very careful about the decisions I make. And that's really what it boils down to. to. Analyze what you want in your life, and you can see that if you do, drugs might interrupt that. A bad marriage might interrupt that. A sexual experience that goes wrong might affect that. It's about quality decision-making from start to finish, no matter who you are and what situation you're in. You know, if you've got a mind and your mind works well, that's what you should concentrate on. How do I get – what are my goals in life? How do I get there? And what are the pitfalls? And don't fall into them. It sounds simple enough, but – you know, a great number of people fail to do that. It's a way to stay out of trouble, and life is about staying out of trouble. You know, try to see the Titanic in a submarine that's built like a soda can. <laughs> whatever the decision you, whatever decision you make, make sure it's a good one. That's yeah. what I'd like to leave everyone with. Just analyze every factor that's involved, and you'll make a quality decision. If you don't, others, other people will make the decisions for you or you'll go along with it. And the potential for setting your life in the direction becomes too great. You can't put yourself at risk like that. 
You just have to hold on to what you have. You know, it's like what I used to say on the docks in New Jersey when I was a forklift driver. Hold what you got. Don't take on more than you can handle. Whether it's in your life or driving a forklift, it's the same thing. Well, and I think, you know, there are so many broken people in the world that we didn't hear that message as young children as we should have to be safe and to yeah, take consequences and to pay attention to what's going on. I know that probably not until I married my husband even was I as aware of my surroundings and things that are going on because he's so fit, he's all really focused mm-hmm. on that, you know, being safe all the time, and which is, I definitely appreciate it. Raising children. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, because you do have to teach them that. You're right. You do have to teach kids. I think kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for, too. They understand yep. more. And um, I talk about, you know, when I do my classes, just talk about even bringing children's books into the conversation, into the hard conversation. So, I mean, there's so many books out there now about child sexual abuse prevention. Um, You know, what I teach, there's many different books, and I was able to use those tools as well with my grandkids now that they've been growing up and and using them. And so I loved having those tools. We didn't have those so much back then. But people need to understand that they are available now, that you can get help. Well, how you interact with children is... Whether whether you're a loner like me or whether you're a family man or whatever you are, your interactions with children and, and the impression you make on them is extremely important because they are learning everything they see, whether that learning is learning something good or bad. So make it good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I even like um, – you know, animals, they know, they can sense what's good and what's bad. Oh, yes, they can Children sense. Children do, too. So, you know, even if they are in a situation of, you know, generational abuse and nobody else in that family can see it, there's going to come a time when one of those children realizes it and then can hopefully break it, you know, break that. Yeah. Generational abuse. I mean, that's what... I'm always hoping and praying for that that happens in relationships. I don't know why, you know, why did I decide to break that generational curse and not my mom? You know, why did it continue on? I don't know, but I guess I was yep, the person well, that was supposed to. So, yeah. We, we all have to look back at what our lives have been so far up to the point we are and look back and analyze what were the bad decisions and what were the good decisions you made so far, too. You have to catch up with your progress and analyze it as you go through life. Something people do fail to do a lot, but it's very important to do it. Yeah, we change so much. I know I'm not the same person that I was when I had my daughter at 18. You know? Yeah. And, and the same thing with the the home. I was going to say the the whole thing with the homeless being a volunteer at a homeless shelter for eight years. You know, I've seen 
every kind of person there is go in and out of that shelter. Some get housing and some screw it up for themselves. And so I've seen those object lessons without having to go through, through it myself also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your heart, God. Oh, well, that's the person I am, you know. I can't just think about myself in this life. I'm part of I'm part of other people's lives. I have to think about what's good for them as well as myself. And it would be better if all of us did that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're glad that you were on with us tonight. Again, you are part of the family. So anytime you would like to be on with us, feel free to just call in any night, Monday through Friday. Um, and you are welcome to listen in and contribute, be part of the panel. Um, if you want to ever contribute anything on NASCA, for sure, their Facebook page, go on and, and share some of those. Um, oh, I certainly you will. you were talking about earlier. And, I'm um, certain. I will. Yeah, and I also talked with your friend, Deanna, so, or I, I got a message back from her. I haven't spoken with her yet, but, um, so thank you for that, that contact as well. So look forward to hearing her story as well. Oh, yeah, that's, I even haven't, I, I haven't had her book yet. I haven't gotten her book yet, so. I still have to find out what her story is. So it's going to be a revelation for me, too. I She's just been a Facebook friend, you know? Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of great Facebook friends, I'll tell you. <laughs> I made some really good ones. Oh, me, too. So, they're great. Yeah. Great. So don't be a stranger. Come around any time. Remember, um, your scan number is 3221. So you can go on to NASCA.org, um, probably within a half an hour of us finishing up our interview here, then it should be posted on NASCA.org and look up that okay. number and anybody could listen to your show tonight. So, yeah, that sounds fine with me. That's, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Okay, well, thanks touch. for the opportunity to let me express the things that I have not been able to express, you know, Except to some of my friends, it's much better with the podcast when a lot of people hear it, whether they disagree or agree with me. I, I it's a great opportunity to to finally speak my mind about all this stuff. Yeah, and I'm sorry that it, the whole attorney didn't get the justice that she. Yeah, yeah, it was really hard, horrible from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. About well, thank well, you thank for you sharing her for story, that. too, because I'm sure that she, she appreciates that as well, just getting her name out there. Thank you, Dr. Yes. Nancy, for being on with us this evening. We appreciate you being here. Always Hello. a pleasure. Well, quite welcome. And, um, yeah, we are winding down here, and as we say um, on NASCA at times, but we are we're all adults have the ability to watch out for all children. So we it is our job. We need to stop pushing it on online the children. It's our job as adults to take care of kids, watch out for things, um, you know, and, and then report if something needs to be reported. And not be afraid exactly. to stand up for a child that we don't even know. 
So please, 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 if you see something, please say something. And thank exactly. you again for being with us tonight. Have a great evening. Thank God. You too. Care. And thanks for letting Good me have night. Good night. Good night. Oh, no.